Christ to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please sit down? I think it's quite obvious what the theme of today is, Michael and all angels, just the hymns alone. Come let us join our cheerful song, will angels round the throne? It's fairly obvious there's a connection there, or, or the gradual hymn, Ye Holy Angels Bright. And then later on during the service, um, other hymns all about the, the angels angel voices ever singing round the throne of God. We're going to sing that just after communion. It's one of my favourite angel-type uh, hymns. The sentence for today, and all the angels sang amen and blessing and honour and praise, and so it, it went on, and the collect for today. So the, the theme, obviously, is of the heavenly hosts, the supernatural if you like or contranatural or, or the spiritual world that's all around us in particular I think the closeness of that world it's there all the time but we just don't remember it but on this day we're going to remember something of that heavenly host that's, that's all around us unseen and yet very real now the three readings or four readings we had this morning all on that, that same uh, theme. So very briefly, that Ezekiel reading, I, I don't know if you understood it, all about the, the four faces and four wings and those sorts of things. It's a part of the apocalyptic literature, the, the last days and the, the destruction. And there are all sorts of different explanations. It's just amazing how many people over the years have had different ideas of what these sorts of things mean. There are five similes in it, that little reading. When you see the word like or as, it's a simile. It's something uh, like that. Not really that, but something like it. You can say to a child, oh, you were as brave as a lion or something, and as, as a, like and as. It doesn't mean he was a roaring lion, but he was as brave as, as, as a lion. But it's a mystery. I think most of the scholars seem to agree that these were cherubim, not angels. Uh, cherubim that appear throughout the scriptures from Genesis, uh, guarding the Garden of Eden right through to the, the final book in the Bible, the, the Revelation of St. John. Uh, these uh, cherubim appear again. But mystery is a part of our faith, I believe. We don't need to understand everything that's, that's there. There's all is going to be explained, I believe, in, in God's own good time. And the next reading was Revelation. There was war in heaven. <laughs> it's almost a contradiction in terms, isn't it? We don't think of heaven as a place where there's war. Michael and his angels fighting against the, the devil and his angels. And interesting, the, the reason given for it comes out very clearly and quite detailed in the, the fourth chapter of St. James. And when we get there in our series of, of James, uh, whoever's preaching, I'm not sure who it is, I'm sure we'll mention the reason, the, the desire to, to have something that we don't uh, already have, the reason why uh, the devil uh, was in that predicament fighting uh, Michael. 
But that war, good and bad, is still going on. It's been going on in my head for a while, uh, time and again, and I think if we're honest, we would find this sort of battle goes on in our own heads. We hear voices that are uh, uh, not of, of God, not from ourselves. They seem to happen when we make a step getting closer to Jesus. One of the, the worst times I had was just a few weeks before the, the Alpha course. And I was almost ready on a couple of occasions to go and see Stuart and say, right, it's all off, I'm not going to do it, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, I don't know what to do, etc., etc. But that Alpha course was a wonderful success and that voice wasn't coming from me, it was coming from somewhere else. And if you're trying to get close to Jesus, these sorts of antagonistic voices do appear. And the word to say, of course, is, Get thee behind me, Satan. The three names of Satan in that Revelation reading, the devil, Satan, or the accuser. C.S. Lewis, the, the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, fame, wrote another little book a number of years ago now called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know whether you know that or not, or whether it's sitting tucked away in your bookcase somewhere, but it's a, a glorious one, and he is instructing a, a baby devil as to how to, to um, get the, the, the Christians away from their faith, and if they pray, oh, that's dreadful, that's the worst thing that can happen, you've got to stop them praying, <laughs> whatever you do. But there was a, a lovely illustration, he goes on to all sorts of detail about this, this voice, uh, that, that is to be done, uh, how Satan works. Uh, he puts people into a, a deep spiral. You're no good, you're rotten, nobody loves you, you're a failure, and, and so you go down into this deep spiral, the, the accuser of the brethren. And there's no real way out until we say, recognise it for what it is and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus convicts us of sin. There's no question about that. If you've sinned and Jesus convicts you, you know jolly well that you have sinned. But the immediate response is to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Quite a difference from Satan's accusing and Jesus convicting of sin. We have to remember that Jesus is the one who paid the price for all of our sin. Even in the midst of that turmoil, Jesus is the one that we look to. He paid the, the price of, of all our sins. And the Revelation reading went on and said that the, the devil was conquered by the blood of, or the life of Jesus. We look at him on the cross, paying the price for our sins, something which we couldn't do uh, for ourselves. And the second way they, that war battle was won was by the, the testimony. Testimony, personal testimony, has very powerful influence in, in the church and in the world. And was it last week in the, the, the series on James that, that the tongue is a very, very powerful thing. It's small, but it's so very, very powerful. And it's not possible for 
uh, a tap, if you like, to have both salt and fresh water coming out of it at the same time, and yet cursing and blessing come from our tongue. In the, the Gospel reading, there's a little story, as it were, within a story. Uh, we, we, this Gospel we read today started off, um, I thought, just a verse after it should have, because the verse before says that Jesus found Philip and said to Philip, follow me. And then in response to that, Philip finds Nathaniel and says, we've found the Messiah. Jesus found Philip, and I think he finds us. The initiative starts with him, not, not with us. And there are lots of quotations in, in the Bible. Ephesians 4 is one of them. Romans 8 is another one, entirely different letters in the Bible, but having much the same sort of words in them, that he chose us to be his before the foundation of the world. The initiative is with, with God. Uh, not with us. So Jesus found Philip and he finds us and Philip's response to being found by Jesus was to tell someone else about it, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's response wasn't very good. As soon as he mentioned Nazareth, oh, Nazareth, goes Nathaniel. Oh, I can tell you a few stories about the people in Nazareth. And as for that new Roman city, the soldiers just encamped about three or four kilometres out of the town. And so immediately Nathaniel was blocked. And when this happens to us, I don't know what you do, I know what I try not to do, but you immediately have an argument. Say, oh, look, there's good people in Nazareth. There's this, there's a lovely geographical situation, etc., etc. You argue and talk about it. Philip didn't do that. He just used three little words, very simple little words. Come and see. When people talk to us about the things of God or why they don't come to church or something, I don't think it's any point in arguing and someone said something to them 50 years ago and, and they've held on to that, whether it's a reason or an excuse, I, I don't know. No point in arguing, but say, well, come and see. I go to the such and such a service at that church. It's different. You know, we don't even have uh, books in the, in the pews now. It's all up on the screen. You don't have to juggle a prayer book and a Bible and a hymn book and find places and pages. Come and see. And in this Alpha course this year, there were three people, to my knowledge, came to that course because someone handed them a little leaflet about Alpha, or someone spoke to their neighbour and said, I'm going to do the Alpha course, will you come with me? Just incredible, the power of come and see. When Philip came to, when, when Nathaniel came to Jesus, he had a little conversation. Here's an Israelite in whom's no guile. And Philip says, oh, how did you recognise me? Which I find a little bit arrogant there, but that's the, what's in the, in the scriptures. And then Jesus said to him, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. 
there are, again, lots and lots of differing opinions about what was meant by being under the fig tree. Some great <laughs> learned uh, scholars of the scriptures go into all sorts of detail about the symbolism of the fig tree. And, but the Bible doesn't seem to. There are three places in the scriptures where it talks about people sitting under the fig tree, about near their, their grapevines. They were all periods of peace, periods of blessing. Whether this was a part of what was meant by that, I, I'm not quite sure. But Philip's response was, wow, <laughs> for you to know that I was sitting under a fig tree when Philip called me, you must be the son of God. Now he was a, a very devout Jew and the great Shema Israel, every day they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And now he's saying to Jesus, You are God. And later on he was going to be present at the Feast of Pentecost when they heard more similes, a sound as of a rushing mighty wind and tongues that appeared to be like tongues of fire and the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were given new languages to be able to, prayer languages to, to talk to God. And so he had three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another mystery of the, the Christian faith. We don't have to understand it. I don't think we can understand it, although lots of people have, have tried. And then Jesus said to him, you're going to see greater things than this. It's not just that I saw you under the fig tree. Greater things than this. You're going to see heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending. And we know that Philip did see so many miracles of Jesus, heard so much of his teaching and was certainly present at the, the Feast of, of Pentecost. The late Billy Graham wrote a terrific book. It's quite a big one. I don't know if you've got this in any of your bookcases sitting there. It's just simply called Angels. And it's a very learned uh, study of, of, of the appearance of angels and what they, they did and, and their roles. To me, angels are simply the messengers of God. They're more than that, but that seems to be their main role, messengers of God. And you can't celebrate Christmas without angels all, all over the place. <laughs> they keep popping up. Uh, angel appeared to, to Zechariah, uh, and from that encounter, uh, John the Baptist was born. The angel appeared to Mary, asking if he's willing to be the mother of God's son. And then Joseph, when Mary told him what had happened, Joseph obviously didn't believe her, and an angel appeared to Joseph. He said, look, don't be frightened to, to have, take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Then, of course, the shepherds. Christmas couldn't be Christmas without shepherds out in the fields keeping over watch over their flocks by, by night and an angel appeared to them Luke says they were sore afraid in the old King James version I guess this means they were terrified <laughs> quietly in the dark out with a, perhaps a little campfire and a few little olive oil lamps suddenly an angel appeared terror that's the only word I could think of and he told them the message, the good news that your saviour has been born. 
And then Luke says, suddenly there was with the angel a great host of heaven. If they were terrified to see one angel, <laughs> what would they have been feeling like with the great host of, of angels, all singing and, and praising God? I don't think we have English words strong enough, but perhaps petrified would be the only one I can think of. Absolutely stunned. Heaven couldn't contain that good news. It became visible on earth. And again, the angel appearing, telling Joseph to take Jesus down to, to Egypt because it was danger where he was and then to come back again. But all these things happened a, a long time ago. What about today? I believe that some of the things we do on this earth have repercussions in heaven. Just toss that round in your minds. Some of the things that we do on earth can have repercussions in heaven. And what I'm thinking about is a, a mentioned twice in St Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, where it says, There is joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I don't know how you'd interpret that. I interpret it to mean there is joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But people can adapt verses of Scripture in all sorts of different ways. But to me, it, it says what it says, <laughs> that there is joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And I believe what this means is that if one of us this morning has already or perhaps later on in the service, will say to Jesus, I'm sorry for this or for that or for not doing this. That there's joy among the angels of God. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? <laughs> what we can do on this earth can have repercussions in heaven. See how close the spiritual world is to us. Just one more illustration. Later on in this service, and Stuart has the privilege of saying these words this morning, at the very heart of the Eucharist, the great Eucharistic or Thanksgiving prayer, he will say, Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, Familiar words, and probably too familiar, that's, so they don't have the impact that they should have. But to me that's saying, therefore, with angels and archangels, that we should be aware of the presence of the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, that our worship at that moment is lifted up out of this building and joins in the perfect worship of God in heaven. Joining in that great heavenly choir, that great heavenly chorus. And we sing the, the wonderful song of praise to God, one that the greatest of the Old Testament prophets heard singing in, in, in a vision in the Old Testament. And thousands of years later in the New Testament, John, in, in the last book of the Bible, in the Revelation, caught up into a vision to heaven 
hears the angels praising God and singing exactly the same things that we are going to sing later on in this service. Holy, holy, holy. And of course, that came out in the beginning of the, at our introit this morning. Be aware of the spiritual world, the supernatural world, the contranatural world, whatever you like to call it. Be aware of it. It's very real and very close. People sometimes talk about the places where you can go in, in this world and they seem to be uh, narrow places that the distance between our physical world and the spiritual world becomes narrow. It's incredible when you find one of those places and I've found one uh, that I enjoy, uh, not, not in the church actually, or away, uh, not far away from here, but it just seems such a, a narrow place that God seems very real and very close and it's so easy to talk to him and be aware of him. But it's all about Jesus, not about us. Think of that wonderful promise that he made, absolutely mind-boggling promise that I am with you always to the end of the age, the presence of Jesus and all the hosts of heaven. And when we remember this, so many things change. The presence of Jesus transforms so much. And to him be the glory and praise for ever and ever. Amen.